being in a body with chronic illness does allow me to see and experience Jesus in a way that I wouldn't have if I were still in my healthy body. To the Still Christian Podcast, where we retrace our steps through evangelical culture, finding a new way forward without abandoning our faith. I'm Katie. I'm Sarah. And we're Still Christian. This week, we will be interviewing my sister, Janine, about her story of faithfulness through chronic illness. So Janine, I would love for you to just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what does a typical day look like for you now? How's life? Who are you? I'm Janine Emily Gorzelski. Your middle name is Emily? Yes. Pretty. Yeah, it's, I'm not sure how I feel about it, Sarah, but that's a conversation for another time. Probably. Okay, that'll be our next episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How Janine feels about her middle name. Still Christian name. through having a middle name. Through middle name. Feel exactly. about. <laughs> yeah, got a lot to say about that. Currently, I live in Chelan, Washington um, on a lake with my parents and younger sister. And I'd say these days my life is in a little bit more of a transition space as I gear up to go back to school online to finish a master's degree in counseling that I actually started back in 2015, but had to stop due to health issues. I feel really honored and I I just feel really thankful that you are entrusting your time and your story with us as friends and on this podcast too. Anytime that anyone suffers ever, it's very personal and not always something we want to share. And I think you're really brave for being here and talking. And I'm really happy to have you here and really interested to hear what you have to say. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I truly feel so honored to be able to share it. I feel like this is kind of the first time that I've, you know, I mean, some people know a little bit about my story here and there, bits and pieces, but this is the first time that I've actually shared it more fully. And so it's a gift to be able to do that. So thank you for having me. Of course. So put us into your shoes. What has your story been? Where did it start? Where has it gone? Where are you now? Yeah, so um, I'd kind of begin my story of chronic illness going all the way back to 2013. So at the time, I was studying abroad in Costa Rica during my senior year of college, and we were traveling to Nicaragua, and um, I got pretty sick from some water there and just had a really challenging time rebounding from that. And so when I got back home to the States, I also experienced some traumatic situations all while I was kind of trying to finish up school. And so I think that illness and Nicaragua combined with pretty significant stress just sort of sent my body on a downward trajectory. And so after I graduated, I kind of started experiencing a myriad of just inexplicable symptoms that began to really affect my quality of life. And so for about the next five years, I was in and out of every possible kind of doctor and specialist office doing all kinds of testing. You know, it really sort of became like my full-time job trying to figure out what was going on with me and and no one really seemed to know what was wrong. And so I very much felt like an anomaly. But after about five years of this, I was diagnosed with chronic late stage Lyme disease. So chronic Lyme is often called the great imitator because of the widespread dysfunction that it causes in the whole body. It's been known to mimic like 350 other diseases like 
MS or Parkinson's or ALS, Alzheimer's, you know, autoimmune conditions, you name it. And so Lyme disease kind of once it becomes chronic is is quite difficult to treat. Um, there's certainly not a one size fits all solution. And, you know, many people will struggle for life with this disease. So after I got diagnosed, you know, we, we continue to try a lot of different treatments and doctors with pretty little success. And kind of along at the same time, um, along with a lot of the physical struggles I was having, um, some spiritual trauma that had happened sort of around the same time as the Nicaraguan illness also had sort of left me in this dark night of the soul spiritually where I was feeling profoundly abandoned by God. So I'd say to be suffering not only in body, but also in soul just felt unbearable. And I remember very vividly at one point throughout all of this, I was telling my mom, you know, I, I'd gladly endure any physical suffering if only my spirit could just experience God's presence again. Because what was truly even more devastating to me than my body feeling was just this agony I felt at the lover of my soul and my bedrock being nowhere that I could locate him. And so that kind of spiritual period of darkness lasted about a, a decade before you had your official diagnosis, would you be comfortable sharing what kind of symptoms? Like, what were you what were you living with? What were you trying to figure out? Like, this thing is happening to me. This is not normal. What was it like for you? Yeah, I'd say the most significant things, pretty severe insomnia and also lots of different things going on in my gut. A lot of issues with digesting foods, um, with just getting things to move through my body. I also had a lot of pain throughout uh, my body. Like I, I'd have this really weird symptom of the bottoms of my feet would just burn and it would just be in so much pain to just even stand up. I just can't imagine dealing with that and not knowing what it was. And even if you do know what it is, like, does that make it easier to deal with? And you mentioned that your specific illness that it's called or it's nicknamed the great imitator mm -hmm. because it looks like MS and Parkinson's and to think, you know, you were 20 something years old and to think that maybe you're finding out you have MS or you're, like, yeah. that just sounds terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It really was the, the, the mystery of it all was, was quite maddening. <laughs> and there were times when diagnosis like MS would be on the table and we'd be ruling those things out as well. So there were a lot of frightening things um, that were kind of put into question with all that. I guess the older sister in me wants people to know that this was pure hell for oh. over a decade yeah. because you're sounding so strong and modest about it, but it was just, you were like at death's door. I think it's even more impressive that you're still a Christian because of how awful it was. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm absolutely hope to kind of share the next phase of the yeah, journey, yeah, which was much more harrowing. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> so thank you for asking. Yeah. So this all began in 2013. Then I kind of finally got a diagnosis in 2018. Of the late stage Lyme. Yes. Uh-huh. So five years later. Even that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Like, oof. Yeah. Five years yeah. Of, of mystery. Yeah. So many doctors doing different things, not knowing what it was. A lot of treatments that made me worse. A lot of things that were just 
kind of chaos in that time. But starting about like the fall of 2020, I was just sort of steadily growing sicker. So then in January of 2021, I found myself in in pretty desperate need of help. But my Lyme doctor at the time was out on paternity leave. And so he was having his new resident fill in for him. And I remember she was trying her best to help me and, you know, trying to figure out why I was declining so much. And as I was lying there on her treatment table, for whatever reason, she decided that she wanted to give me a manual neck adjustment. And I'd never had one done before. didn't know what to expect. Didn't know that people who aren't chiropractors aren't even qualified or shouldn't be doing stuff like that. It was quite aggressive and I pretty quickly felt like something was wrong, but I left the office thinking, okay, like hopefully the pain in my neck will, you know, just sort itself out. But pretty soon after this, um, my body just started to decline even more rapidly. And I experienced some of the most you know, alarming, bizarre things start to happen. And so for the entirety of 2021 and some of the beginning of 2022, I found myself going to the emergency room about every like one to two weeks with new distressing symptoms. So some of those things involved rapid weight loss, my kidneys stopped functioning. um, I started to develop a lot of cardiac issues. I started losing my ability to actually walk. So my family would have to assist me around the house. The insomnia that I already had had just got gotten to an extreme level. For many months, I had to sit up straight at night because lying down would cause such intense pressure in my skull. I was having these like mini like stroke-like episodes and episodes where my blood pressure would just skyrocket. I developed a lot of neurological symptoms where my body would just kind of jerk or I'd have tremors or it would feel like electric shocks going throughout my body. There were times I would lose my vision and I was just terrified that I was going blind. And at one point I had a blood clot that actually turned into a pulmonary embolism and people were just stunned because they couldn't really, you know, I saw a hematologist and no one could figure out why, why my blood had decided to clot like that. My joints and ligaments all became very loose. And so my body just sort of felt like it was a sack of bones being held together by jello. And so many other things were kind of going wrong globally in my whole body. But basically it came down to like, I I couldn't sleep alone or be left alone due to how touch and go things were. And so it was very much in survival mode and mostly bedridden because I, I'd become so unstable that I couldn't even like hold myself upright. And I didn't know if I was gonna live or die. And to be honest, there were many, many nights when I would just beg and beg and beg God to take my life because I I did not believe that I could suffer like that any longer. And so sort of similar to how the early Lyme disease trajectory went, no one knew what was wrong with me. We were just trying to put out fires as they were happening, but nobody knew where they were coming from. And so to kind of add insult to injury, there were many doctors and healthcare workers along the way who sort of treated me with scorn and disbelief rather than compassion. I very quickly learned that a lot of doctors struggle to deal with patients with complex chronic cases who aren't easy to figure out. So one example I can recall was just a time we rushed to the ER because my body was just jerking uncontrollably. So obviously things were not going well neurologically, but When we got there, I was brushed off as just having anxiety. There are unfortunately a lot of other experiences that I had like that. And um, there's nothing more brutal than to be suffering to that degree, but then told that you're maybe wrong by the ones who are, by the only ones really who are qualified to offer you help. 
it very much left me and my parents feeling incredibly helpless and desperate for much of that year, year and a half. Can I ask you a question that is on my mind? Yeah. This whole time, you don't have answers and you're suffering. It just is getting worse and worse. Yeah. And all all you know, I'm assuming, is like, I went and this resident adjusted my neck. Like, she probably caused all of this. Were you ever like, let me sue her? I don't know what problem that would solve, but did your mind ever go there? I'm, I know like with my personality, cause I'm very like justice oriented mm-hmm. to a fault. I feel like that's what I would be thinking. I'm curious if you experience that at all. Yeah. Well, you know, what's sort of crazy is this went on for about, well, yeah, it went on for 10 months and I didn't even have a thought to trace it back to the neck adjustment at the time. And I think part of that was because I was so used to Lyme just causing such unbelievable symptoms that I had just figured, you know, maybe maybe my Lyme is just finally getting me to the point where I might just die from this. My Lyme's just getting out of control. Like I just didn't even make that connection. And so, you know, after 10 months of like physical chaos, I finally had some imaging done that showed that I had a cervical spine and brainstem injury, which then we finally traced back to the neck adjustment done by the resident. And, you know, then all the pieces started to fall into place because I started learning about how vital the brainstem is for life and functioning. Something like 95% of the communication between your brain and your body happens via the brainstem. And it's responsible for, you know, most bodily functions that are essential for life, like breathing, consciousness, blood pressure, heart rate, sleep, things like that. So it all started to make sense to me like, okay, this is now why my whole body was so incredibly affected by one, you know, injury to my neck and why I really felt like I was fighting for my life. dealing with all of those symptoms, just the physical things that you talked about, that into spiritual in a minute, but is this still your daily life right now? Chronic suffering and illness is still my daily life, but I, you know, I'm certainly not feeling like I'm at death's door anymore. I'm still very much in recovery, but so much more functional now than I was before. And is that because of treatments that you've done? Yeah, I was just going to say, I honestly don't fully know what it is that's gotten me to a place of greater stability. It's been incredibly gradual and sort of like a couple steps forward, couple steps back sort of process. But, you know, I've continued to work with a Lyme doctor. Um, I've also worked with a neurologist ongoing. We actually have a sauna um, that I use almost daily, which is incredibly helpful, especially for Lyme. And, you know, I really do believe that ongoing, long-suffering prayer has kind of sustained my life. I think also living with my parents at their lake home has been a a blessing to sort of be nurtured through water and sun and and quiet and rest. Um, Those things have also, I think, brought some vitality back to my body. And I'd say my, my neck and body do continue to struggle with the impacts of that injury in different ways, not in the sense that I feel like I'm gonna need to drop and go to the ER at any minute. They're a lot better now than that. Um, but, you know, we, we don't know if my neck will ever fully heal. Um, and I continue to battle a myriad of issues related to Lyme disease. Um, 
and you know continue to kind of wrestle with what is it what does it mean to suffer chronically and live in a body that's still broken and and unpredictable at times but certainly don't feel like I'm at the brink of death anymore and I'm able to start pursuing more life-giving things again which is feels miraculous (laughs) truly hearing what you have shared Janine just makes me realize how much I take my body for granted I know you said at one point, and and maybe not a singular experience, but you mentioned um, that you were praying for God to take your life, and I just mm-hmm. I just can't even imagine the depth of that suffering. I wanted to ask you about when you mentioned spiritual trauma that you said you felt abandoned by God, and that's something that I feel like is a very specific experience, mm-hmm. and so I'm wondering if you can explain for us what that is or what that felt mm-hmm. like or feels like if, do you still feel that way? No, I, I do not. I'd say that that sense of being in the dark night lasted nine years to a decade, but fortunately that, that blanket has been lifted, which also feels miraculous because that was another stretch of suffering that I, I, I didn't, I couldn't see an end to and, and didn't, didn't know that I'd ever get out of. So it's actually you know, kind of being a little further removed from it now, it's it's hard to even use language to describe what that felt like. Just having this keen sense of the way that I've always experienced God and his presence, I don't have access to that anymore. And I don't know how um, this God that I've, you know, leaned on my whole life could allow me to experience something like that. It's hard to find words for that, because if you could find words for it, then you could study it and figure out how to get through it. But it's kind of just one of those things where you're in the dark and you're trying to move forward the best you can. And yeah. Could you tell us a little bit more about how your spiritual suffering and physical suffering informed each other? Yeah. So one thing I would clarify is that I don't attribute, you know, this sense of feeling abandoned by God to like, wow, God, you really left me to suffer physically in this body. Like, how could you? They felt separate in that way, like the the kind of sense of abandonment came almost before the, you know, decade of illness, but they did, you know, play upon each other in the sense of, wow, I'm not only suffering bodily and and this is such a mystery and no one can seem to figure out just the, the physical piece of it, but also I can't seem to figure out why spiritually I can't seem to locate God anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, you know, have the tools or resources that I would have had at any other period of life to really lean upon to comfort me through the the physical. Have you ever noted the similarity between your story and the suffering of Jesus? Hmm. And I know that's a very big thing to say, but I mean, what I'm hearing is incredible physical suffering to the point where you think that you're going to die or you kind of hope that you would because it was so incredibly difficult. And on top of that, not being able to access God, being abandoned by God. And I'm thinking of when Jesus is on the cross and the whole world turns dark Mm -hmm. and he's crying out to his father and God doesn't respond to him. I mean, that sounds so similar to what Mm -hmm. you're describing. And it also just sounds so incredibly painful, just one thing on top of the other. And I'm curious if you've ever um, thought of it that way or if anyone's Mm -hmm. brought that up to you before having heard your story. Yeah, you know, it's kind of striking is part of my 
heart's cry on this retreat that I was on was, God, I, I want to be, I just want to be as intimate with you as possible. Um, that's what I want more than anything. And so throughout the years, I have had some mentors or older people in my life kind of suggest like maybe maybe God was answering your prayer in just in a way that you would have never dared ex- expected that he would allow you to have such intimacy with him to the point where where you could experience that degree of like physical torture and even the, the spiritual pain of like I I feel like his face is turned away from me. I hesitate to say this because I don't want to categorize your suffering, but I've been reading more the stories of early Christian female mystics, and I've been struck by how many of their stories begin with a prayer to identify with Christ Mm. in his suffering, a prayer for true and full intimacy with Christ. And then God answers that prayer by allowing them to experience in some way what Jesus experiences on the cross. And for each person, I've, I've read three stories now. One is, I think, Teresa of Avila. One is mm. um, Julian of Norwich. Another is Marjorie Kemp. But each person believed they were dying to the point where a priest was called and gave mm. them their last rites. And they thought they were going to die too because they were in so much suffering. They had these divine revelations of Christ that are now some of our most powerful theological literature and devotional literature, like Revelations of Divine Love, which is Julian of Norwich. That began in a dark night. Granted, it was only three days and you experienced 10 years of it. But I'm, I'm kind of wondering like, if there is a spiritual category for what you experienced, not to say like, oh, everyone goes through that because they don't. I wonder if there are some people that God trusts enough to allow that depth of pain to increase their knowledge and experience of him and to increase their witness in the world. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting idea, if everything you just said is true, Katie, of Janine's experience, that maybe that is a little bit of redemption and like, oh, this is what it was all for on Hmm. this side of heaven. Your willingness to share your story with us is not the first step because you've shared this with others. So many people have been blessed by seeing your faithfulness to God, to be honest, and God's faithfulness to you that have been in your circle. But now, like millions of our listeners, (laughs) I'm just joking. Millions (laughs) of people around the world, I hope, are going to hear your story. And I I just, Mm. I think as you enter into your counseling practice as well, you're going in with that story. Your story is such a beautiful, um, I I was going to say weapon, and I don't know why, but I I think it is a weapon against the darkness. Mm. And again, I really don't want to like try to I do. Actually, I really do want to try to make sense of your (laughs) suffering, but I don't Mm -hmm. want to like Mm -hmm. just put a bow on it. But you don't you want to make sense of it, but not make light of it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if it's possible to make sense of it. Yeah. Is there any part of you that has thought, what are some of the gifts of this experience or who am I now that I wasn't before? Mm -hmm. Has anything been like strengthened or cultivated in me? Um, And if not, that's okay. If this had happened to me 15 years ago or so, I'm I'm not sure, you know, I would have had 
the capacity to hold hold that suffering and and still hold to God being good because mm-hmm. I think God mostly seemed great to me at that point because my life was pretty good and things were working out okay for me. Mm-hmm. And so even still, you know, I have a lot of pain linked to things that I don't understand regarding how he could allow me to go through something really so torturous for so long, but I I do think my theology of suffering really has shifted and that I don't instantly think I need to just run run for the hills every time suffering comes, mm-hmm. but rather I I can see it as a space where I can say like okay, Jesus, there are times when I hate this existence. I hate living in this body and I wouldn't choose this, but still like what what do you have for me even here? How can I stay awake with you in the garden of Gethsemane, so to speak, and remain with you and and weep and suffer with you together? Mm. A friend of mine told me once that I shouldn't take for granted that being in a body with chronic illness does allow me to see and experience Jesus in a way that I wouldn't have if I were still in my healthy body. And I've really experienced that bittersweet gift because I, I can even notice on days when I'm feeling a little better, more functional, I lose that sense of my desperate neediness of him. But on days when my body is just screaming all of its pains and weaknesses much more loudly, like I I feel like I'm given a gift again where like the veil between heaven and earth seems much thinner and I feel like I can see everything much more clearly. Um, and I'm kind of reminded again of how desperately dependent I am on him, like literally moment by moment and breath by breath to to sustain me. And so I think there has been a certain kind of joy in that level of like communion and connectedness because, you know, as you were saying about these mystics, like there, there have been so many times I was certain my light was getting snuffed out. Um, that was no way I was going to possibly make it, but somehow he'd keep sustaining me second by second. I've also learned that things that used to terrify me that were happening in my body or make me think I was surely on my way out are now things that I can trust that somehow he'll be faithful through because mm. he's shown me that over and over again. through and continue to go through is incredibly difficult, but it has given you this perspective and this reminder of what is true of all of us that we all Mm. need. We're only here because of God every single moment. And yet I like to think that it's because of myself and the work that I've put in. And I can kind of get away with believing that sometimes a lot, most of the time. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm going to sound like a bathroom wall plaque. Like you've probably seen this crocheted somewhere, but here's what came to my mind. There are some fruits that only suffering can grow. And that's what I've seen in you, Ginny. And just as a personal mm-hmm. side note, there's so much more room for light in you. I don't know how to say it other than that, but like there's more light that comes from your eyes and your spirit and your smile than there was before you went through this. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that means it's worth it. I actually don't, I don't know. Like I wish you hadn't had to go through that, but. I've seen things in you that perhaps only that degree of suffering could produce things that many of us probably won't cultivate in this life because it it actually takes walking through fire to shine that clearly. And most of us spend our lives avoiding getting burned. 
So wrapping up our conversation, Janine, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your vulnerability. All of it is beautiful and a gift. For those who are listening who maybe haven't experienced chronic illness, but know people who are experiencing that or would like to support loved ones who are, are going through chronic suffering um, of any kind, but especially chronic illness, what would you what would you say to those people who are wanting to support their loved ones? I would say that sometimes, at least for me, even more than words, like I found out how much my body just needed the nearness of other bodies, just to have another person nearby to kind of regulate me through their touch um, was just a really powerful gift. And it, again, kind of brought me back to that, how interconnected we are and how, how dependent we are on each other, not just on God. I'd say physical nearness was incredibly powerful to me. I think another thing that has been really a gift is how people have continued to offer prayers, presence, and you know the compassion of Christ, even when there continue to be no answers, even when you know nothing gets better. It continues to like bless and surprise me that there are still people in my life who are still praying for me, still showing me care and compassion, still checking in. Even though in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, this has been going on for far too long now. Like surely care and compassion must have all run out by now. And so I think just offering like a, a steady long-term companionship and, and grace to somebody who's in a long-term battle with very few answers is, is also very mm -hmm. much a gift. Thank you. So the question of all questions, which is, you know, one big reason why we invited you here, which by the way, thank you again for being here, for making time to have this conversation with us and just for opening up and sharing this story. Cause I can only imagine it might be difficult to talk about too, because in some ways you kind of have to relive mm -hmm. it all. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing with us. Absolutely. But the question I really want to ask you is how are you possibly still a Christian after having gone through all of this, after having gone through all your physical suffering, the spiritual suffering, and the two at once, how is it even possible? Help me understand. Well, the first thing I want to say is I, I don't think it's anything that I've done. <laughs> I think it's God keeping his grip on me as much as I want to say, here's what I've managed to, to figure out how to keep hold of him. I, I know it's absolutely by his grace that I'm still eager to be in relationship with him, to see his face. I mean, I, I can't make sense of the suffering I've endured. I still have a lot of questions and probably still a lot of anger for God. But I think at the end of the day, knowing that I, I do serve a God who can hold all of that, hold all my fear, like all my anguish, all my questions, because he showed me that he was willing to hold all that by what he chose to endure on the cross is something that remains so compelling to me that it's it's hard to turn away from that knowing that I serve a God who says that he not only counts my tears, but also that my tears can be seeds of redemption on earth, that those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. I mean, that to me is is worth hanging in there with him for, worth waiting for, both in this life and the next. And I know at least in the next life, I can't wait to one day see his face looking into mm -hmm. mine and to see all the sorrow melt away and, and witness all the, the beauty and the glory that will grow out of my suffering. So to anticipate that, it's another reason I'm still here. Thank you for joining us for our conversation with Janine about her journey through 
chronic illness. And Janine, we can't thank you enough for joining us and for sharing your wisdom with us. Of course. Thank you, guys. Janine, is there a Bible verse that you'd like to share with us that's been part of your journey and maybe has given you some encouragement along the way? Two verses come to mind. Philippians 3, 10 through 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And 2 Corinthians 4, 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body.